Welcome everybody uh, and thanks for joining us. Today we will be talking about a new framework uh, proposed by Ostrots to better support transport investment decisions. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a communications officer at Ostrots and I will be moderating today's session. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about our Ostroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies and our focus is to support our member organisations to deliver an improved road transport network. Um, here's our structure. We use a program management approach to deliver our work. There are four programs and each is focused on an operational area of the road system. So the project that we are focusing on today was delivered under the transport infrastructure program, which is managed by Rose Gapi. A little bit of housekeeping. Um, our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A uh, session for 15 minutes. The report uh, today's presentation is based on and the slides can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you can find on the right hand side of your screen. There's also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions at any time during the session. If you could name the slide number that your question relates to, that would be very helpful uh, for us to answer your question as best as we can. You can also use that same section to let us know if you have any technical problems. But just a quick tip, um, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your connection. So leaving the webinar, closing your browser and rejoining the session using your registration link usually fixes this problem. Uh, this session is being recorded uh, and we will let you know when it's published on our website so you can watch it again or share it with your colleagues. If you listen to podcasts, uh, you can also search for Ostrots in your podcast app. And it gives me great pleasure uh, to introduce our presenters for today, Martin Chow and Dylan Frangus. Uh, Martin is a senior economist at Houston Camp. Uh, he has over 12 years experience uh, providing economic and policy advice, predominantly in the transport and energy sector. Martin has a particular interest in evaluating the merits of reform and investment in different sectors and developing fit-for-purpose cost-benefit uh, analysis frameworks. Dylan is an economist at Houston Camp. He has extensive experience in the application of economic evaluations to um, regulatory and policy issues, um, ranging from evaluating investments for regulated utilities to cost-benefit analysis of infrastructure projects. Dylan has also developed investment prioritization frameworks and template models for use in the infrastructure projects. Um, his expertise in evaluating transport investment opportunities includes the application of innovative financing to major projects and assessing competition concerns um, and regulatory requirements. Um, welcome to you both, uh, and I will hand over to Martin in a second. Thank you, and thanks for that introduction, um, and thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, the first topic that I wanted to talk about is why, that is, why do we need a new investment decision-making framework and what does this investment framework do that's above and beyond what existing frameworks do? Before I talk about that, let me give a quick introduction to the team. Sorry, my apologies. I'm just trying to work out how I change slides. Yes, so a quick introduction to the project team. Um, so fairly compact team from the, on the Houston Kemp side, um, uh, the team comprises of myself and Dylan. Um, Liam Terrace um, is, is the project manager and the Osroads project manager is Ross. Um, and the review team comprised of OS, the working group, the Osroads working group, and as well as the asset management task force and the Osroads board. Um, so a big thank you to the Osroads Working Group. Um, they helped coordinate the consultations as well as collect feedback on the on, on our framework, the draft report, etc., and providing information on how they how they currently think about uh, prioritisation across asset classes. So a big thank you to the working group, and also a big thank you to Liam and Ross as well, acting as the project managers. 
So back to the project, I think a useful starting point is to talk about the problem definition or the problem statement. That is, um, and I think that's in essence highlighting why a new framework is needed. So in my view, the problem stems from the fact that at the moment, depending on what asset type you are looking at or what the investment uh, expenditure, the nature of it, you often, or road agencies often have a different decision-making framework that you use to look at different investment opportunities. Um, so this table below has some examples of common frameworks that are commonly used. Um, so for example, you have your cost-benefit analysis, which you typically is typically used in large capex projects. And the purpose of this framework is to, to ask what are the benefits of an investment versus the cost? Do benefit, are benefits larger than cost? And if so, by how much? So that's uh, the answer that the cost benefit framework is trying to give you is, well, do benefits exceed costs? So that's typically applied in a, in a CapEx context, whereas the bottom three, where you have your service level based approach, risk assessment and reactive slash frequency based approach, those are typically applied for maintenance activity. So service, for, service level based is commonly used for pavements. So what what this approach involves is is it you give a you measure the condition of the asset and you give it a grade of whether it's in good condition or bad condition. And based on that condition rating, you then decide well is it time for it to undergo maintenance or of some sort. So that's the service level based approach. Gives you a a rating, if you like, of the condition of an asset. Then you also have a risk assessment. So this is often used for bridges. Um, often it's about looking at whether there's a risk of that the bridge would, could say fail. Could, could there be a structural failure? And that could mean that you can't use the bridge anymore or the bridge could collapse. And often you view that through a risk lens given the because of the catastrophic consequence that um, could be involved if it, if you do have a failure. So a, a risk approach is a, a different way of looking at the problem of saying, well, what is the likelihood of a risk event happening and what is the consequence? And based on that, you have output metrics such as risk scores or likelihood of a catastrophic event occurring. So that's another framework that um, that's used to decide whether or not you invest. Um, and the last framework is reactive slash frequency based. And this is, I would say, a more reactive approach where um, think when I think of this framework, I think of things like fixing a, a stop sign or line marking. So you do it on a periodic basis for line markings. So you might repaint the line marking, say, every five years or seven years. And um, a, stop, a stop sign, you might fix it when someone rings you up and say, well, it's knocked down. Please come and fix it. And so because you have these different frameworks, what that means is, um, and all these different frameworks, in essence, give you a different, look at the problem from a different lens and give you a different answer. Um, it's hard for you to then be able to compare across frameworks. So for example, if you have a project that has a high benefit cost ratio versus a, 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 a project that solves, uh, that solves a key, key risk, how should you choose? These frameworks are very good at comparing within the frameworks, but once you try to compare across frameworks, it's because the answer that they provide is fundamentally different. It's hard for a decision maker to be able to decide across frameworks. And I think that also means that when you think from a portfolio view, it's also hard to aggregate these investments to create a overall portfolio outcome of what does this mean if, let's say, um, if we had, uh, if we had this amount of money and we spend it on these projects, what does mean on a portfolio level in terms of our asset condition or risk assessment or our economic value for money, money, money outcome? So the, the purpose of this project is really to help decision makers, um, irrespective of what the investment opportunity is or what, what it's spent on or the nature of expenditure, how, how, can, how can we design a framework that helps decision makers think about what, where should the money be spent? That's objective number one. And objective number two is how, how do you then, then uh, once you've decided what, uh, what projects you want to fund and invest in, how do you then create a portfolio level view of what are the benefits, what are the costs, and what are the risks associated with these, 
uh, different funding levels or different funding scenarios, if you like. And I think that's quite key to demonstrating that uh, when you have, when you're spending money, large amounts of money on an investment portfolio, how, what value does that provide to the taxpayer and users of that service? So that's the second, the second, the second objective of this project. I'll quickly turn over to Dylan, who's going to talk about the current practices overseas and in Australia. Thanks, Martin. Um, if you could just jump to the next slide, please. So when Martin and I first started this project, we felt that a pretty natural place to start was to look overseas and see whether any international jurisdictions already had a solution to this problem, uh, to the cross-asset allocation problem. Sorry, Martin, can you just go to the next slide? Thank you. Um, and so we thought, well, if we had a solution internationally and it could be applied um, to the Australian setting, then that would make our job really easy. But then what we ultimately found was that there was really no good solutions overseas to the cross-asset um, allocation problem. So in 2012, the World Road Association surveyed its members and their on their approaches to cross-asset allocation. And the main theme of the responses was that no one really had a sophisticated framework for determining the budget across their asset classes. And I think something that really illustrates this point pretty clearly is that there was the most common approach to allocating across asset classes was just to take your historical split and roll that forward. And there was really no indication that there's going to be change in this area in the future either. There was really no consensus on what the right approach going forward would be. Uh, can we just go to the next slide, please, Martin? So with no good solutions identified overseas, what we decided to do was basically take a look at international practices and see how they related to the methodologies that are used by Osroads members. And what we found is that there was really two broad approaches that are used to cross asset allocation. So we have our asset value based allocation methodology and our performance based allocation methodology. So the asset value um, approach comprises four methodologies within it. So we have historically based, where your resources are allocated to each asset program based on the um, historical proportions. And as I just flagged, that's the most commonly used approach internationally. We have the formula-based approach where the resources are allocated through a predetermined formula. And this is going to be a function of things like um, your traffic and road class amongst other factors that a road agency might consider. We have our asset value-based approach where the resources are allocated based on each asset classes um, overall value relative to the size of the road agency's asset base. And then we have condition base, where the resources are allocated based on an assessment of asset condition. So the issue with these asset value based allocation methodologies is they don't reflect, um, they, they don't take into account the corporate objectives of road agencies. And it means that when you use approaches within this um, broad methodology, it makes it hard to optimize in that respect. So the primary alternative that we found was used in order to incorporate corporate objectives more explicitly into the prioritization process was this performance-based allocation approach. And this takes into account corporate objectives through a few ways. So there's the bottom-up approach where the funding split is essentially taken as given across asset classes, and then best practice asset management is what guides the prioritization process within classes. We have the top-down approach where projects and work programs are chosen such that the portfolio that's ultimately developed helps best meet the road agency's corporate objectives. And then there's the hybrid approach, which is a combination of the two. Can we just jump to the next slide, please, Martin? So a really interesting thing that we found from the consultations that we did as part of this work is that Osro's members actually use quite a sophisticated hybrid approach that combines the bottom-up and top-down approaches. So what we found is that Osroads members typically start with a bottom-up approach so that your best practice asset management guidelines are what really drives the priorities within an asset class. So this is taking into account things like your asset management plan, the risk assessments, backlog of projects and the service level targets. So these correspond quite nicely to the, um, the various decision-making frameworks that Martin highlighted just before. And so you have um, this prioritization process which then determines your priorities within an asset class. And then these are then fed into the top-down approach where the um, senior executives effectively have a roundtable discussion and they talk about the various projects that have been fed into the top-down approach and decide which of those best help meet the um, road agency's corporate objectives given the, um, 
available budget. So this is talking, taking into account considerations like government policy, the funding that's available, as I said, the deliverability of particular projects, equity considerations around these projects, and more broadly, just the corporate objectives. So once you have that um, initial list developed through your standard decision-making frameworks, that then fits then feeds into more strategic and a strategic review of the projects. And that finally generates a program list, which is what the, the programs and work activities that the um, road agency ultimately pursues. And for those that are interested in a more detailed discussion of this hybrid approach, and now in Appendix B of our report, we talk about how it's applied um, by Transport for New South Wales, DIPTI in South Australia, and also the NZTA. So if we just jump to the next slide, please, Martin. So before I hand back to Martin, I just, um, and as he walks through the proposed framework that we came up with, I thought it would be useful to touch briefly on the key takeaways that we had from our consultations, since these really played a cru crucial role in framing, in, in shaping the framework that we ultimately developed. So the first is that transport agencies are moving away from a single road focus and towards cross-modal prioritisation. And so it was important that the framework was flexible enough to be expanded in this direction. The second is that Osro's members typically only have a small proportion of discretionary funding, funding with a large part of, um, so we have large couple of projects that are ultimately reflect political or other commitments. And there's some like, some fixed level of operational expenditure to make sure that the, the road network stays, stays in a serviceable state. So what really we needed to focus on is how road agencies could allocate this residual funding that was left, up, left over after these already committed funds. And the final point, which I think is the most, one of the more important ones, is that Osroads members were finding it difficult to secure more funding. I think the key point to acknowledge here is that the technical analysis that is typically underpinning the projects that are put forward by road agencies is pretty inaccessible for your decision makers that you might get at Treasury and other funding agencies who don't necessarily have the same technical background. So I think a good example for this is road roughness. Ultimately, from an asset management point of view, we understand quite well why road roughness is a reason why you would intervene and um, spend money on a road to improve its performance. But to a high level decision maker, you can still drive down a rough road. So when you're competing, so when they're allocating funds across things like schools and hospitals, if the road still functionally works, what about it means that we should be giving um, a road agency more funding when it's coming out of the budget for something like a school or a hospital? So what, the, what we really took that to mean is that the framework needed to recognize the competitive nature of the funding that um, road agencies ultimately face, and it needed to present a compelling narrative to compete better for funding against these other items like schools and hospitals. If we just jump to the next slide, please, Martin. So I'm going to hand back to Martin now, who's going to run us through the proposed framework that we developed, but please remember to submit your questions and we'll try and get to as many as we can at the end. Yep. Thank you for that, Dylan. Um, so let me quickly talk about the proposed framework. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to highlight what this framework should be doing. That is, when a decision, when when a decision maker is trying to make a decision of what to invest in, what are the, what, what are the trade-offs that it's trying to make? And what I've done here is I've listed some of the common drivers and considerations that many road authorities have. And, when, and implicitly, when you're trying to make a decision between which projects you fund, these are some of the factors that are relevant in that decision-making process. So you have a user perspective that is, um, often you invest to improve user outcomes, and that could be, say, for example, improve the the, the speed or the uh, uh, travel speed so you can get from A to B faster, um, So, or you can get from A to B in a more reliable manner. It could also mean making the road smoother so that trip is more comfortable. Um, at the same time, there are other objectives um, for the road agency to consider, so things such as managing the risk, making sure that uh, um, your your assets are sustainable in the long run, so we don't uh, in ten or twenty years time we can still have a have a asset that's fit for purpose. And there are also other objectives such as ensuring that uh, your, the outcomes are equitable. So that is um, 
the roads that are that serve as remote and regional areas are still meet some sort of minimum service if you like and um and also you also have corporate objectives that are quite common such as reducing road fatalities or some of you may have heard of the towards zero safety target that is um, eventually trying to eliminate road fatality make it a thing of the past if you like and at the same time um, often when road authorities are making these decisions in the back of their head there's also a well the investments need to represent value for money so uh, the purpose of highlighting this uh, or listing these drivers is to really to say this decision making uh, is quite complicated and what the decision maker is trying to do implicitly is is trying to balance all these different considerations that then say well if these are my considerations how do I then what portfolio should I then pursue what investments where should I be investing my money in and the the other thing is to that I wanted to point out in this slide is the existing frameworks um, are designed to measure some of these drivers and um, and by quantifying uh, these different investments to match the drivers it helps you determine how you best um, how you best meet your portfolio outcomes so for example MPV and BCR they they measure value for money you have risk scores that measure the risk faced by an organization and you have condition ratings that measure the suitability of an uh, the sustainability of a of an asset if you like so um, these are these existing frameworks are, are designed to help measure some of these considerations and so the challenge we have is well the 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 holistic for the holistic framework to be useful you'll need to be able to help decision makers balance these different considerations so let me quickly provide a quick overview of the framework so i'm going to talk about the framework at a quite a high level on this slide and then we'll jump into a to an example and hopefully that will provide more clarity as to what the, what this framework involves so before i talk about the framework um i wanted to first uh share i guess the, my thinking behind the framework and one of the key observations i make is this is a problem that's not unique to the road asset sector um and so what I mean by that is, if you think of, let's say, a supply chain, if you're a manager of a supply chain, um, you, you're often trying to also balance multiple objectives um, and constraints, if you like. So if you're a supply chain manager, you have a freight task of you need to deliver freight to your customers. Um, you may need to make sure that you're delivering it on time. And at the same time, you have constraints such as um, the number of vehicles you have, what roads each vehicle can travel on. Um, you also have laws that you need to comply with so you can't speed on the network you can't um, there are fatigue laws that means your driver can't be say driving 20 hours straight and at the same time you are also trying to turn a profit so um, and I, I, I feel like there are also parallels in other sectors such as electricity where you're trying to make sure that your electricity grid works for customers that is you you try to avoid blackouts you're also trying to perhaps reduce the 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 carbon emissions that come from come from the sector and you're also trying to make sure that it's a safe network and sustainable into the long run and at the same time you're also trying to do that at least cost and so when i when i was thinking about this problem um uh the framework our proposed framework was i'd say heavily inspired by these by how other how these other sectors approach this problem and what they what the what the the framework that is used in a supply chain or indeed in electricity um, sector is one of an optimization approach where you what what you're trying to do is to say well what are what are my objectives that I want out of the portfolio you define the relevant metrics that um, align with your your the outcomes you are seeking you then 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 say well how, how do these different opportunities investment opportunities align with these metrics and then you then set a then you determine well how much funding do you have available and what is your overall investment criteria and then through that through an optimization framework what will come out is a um uh, investment set if you like that best meets that investment criteria so 
um, put, to put that into a road context, so what that could mean is, um, suppose that a road, a typical, typical considerations that a road authority would have would be safety, um, reliability, and asset condition, let's say. And so what, what our proposed framework would, would, um, would involve is, you say, well, okay, these are the three, three corporate objectives that we want, we want to achieve out of our investment. You will then evaluate evaluate um, the the investment opportunities you identified against these three objectives and that would be step one and that would allow you to understand well how do these investment opportunities align with the corporate objectives take for example road safety if you have if you're thinking about avoiding fatality fatalities on the road network then it would be useful to know what your investment opportunities are and how how each investment opportunity reduces road fatalities in expected terms. And that's kind of step one, understand what metrics you want to measure that align with your um, align with your corporate outcomes or corporate objectives that you want out of the portfolio. And step two is really where your decision-making process comes in. How much, and that's where you set the, that this is where the key decision-making part of it is. And that's where, that's where you make, that's where you tell, tell the framework of what, it, what of the amount of money you have available and what it is that you're trying to seek out of this uh, portfolio. And you, you you will define things like constraints. That is, let's say you you have a road safety target of uh, saving, let's say, 100 lives next year, then the, the invest you treat that as a constraint. The model will say, okay, that's uh, that's a must deliver. Let's deliver that. You might also have a you might also have a risk dimension to it. You 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 say if the risk is above a, a certain threshold, you want the asset to you want the portfolio to to mitigate those risks. So that's another criteria. That's another constraint that the portfolio will consider and and try to meet. And then at the end, will, you will also have an objective that the portfolio is trying to maximize or minimize. Let's say that's value for money. And then through that process, by defining those constraints and objectives, um, you can use an optimization program to then come up with what the optimal portfolio is that helps you best meet the, uh, the investment criteria um, and given your funding level to help best meet those. Okay. So one of the key, what we did and what was quite a key emphasis during our project was making sure that the framework that we developed is practical and can actually be applied. Um, so what we did was we worked with one of the road agencies who was kind enough to provide us with some of their asset data. And then we then converted that, we then, converted that asset data and incorporated into this framework. And in this example, some of uh, the example we've set out here, or as we set out in the report, uses realistic um, data from a road agency. And so which kind of gives me comfort that this is a framework that's not hypothetical or, or theoretical and can actually be practically applied. So um, to give you a sense of how to apply the example, let's consider this a hypothetical road authority that's responsible for managing the state road network. Um, it has, it's trying to decide, it's got $200 million of budget left over, and it's trying to decide how it spend, spends this $200 million. It's identified 30 investment opportunities that cost $331 million. So obviously something has to give, you can't fund all 30. And to decide which projects should be funded, the hypothetical road authority has decided to use this framework proposed by Osroads. Um, and so uh, the table below provides an overview of the investment opportunities identified. So what we try to do in this in this example is to really to try to cover a, a spectrum of, of expenditure types across different asset types to make sure that the, the framework that we proposed at least come, cover the most common investments that a road agency typically undertake. So the first category falls under expanding the state road network. So think of that as your large capital capex upgrades. Um, and so that's kind of one type that uh, takes a large proportion of the budget. Then you have maintenance um, for the for the next three categories are really of opportunities are really all around maintenance of the 
assets. And so the, the second one is around maintaining the roads, uh, the sealed roads. The third one is about main, uh, maintaining bridges or renewing bridges and structures. The third one is about ITS assets. So once, once, you, once, you, um, once you take these uh, investment opportunities and evaluate it against the metric, in some sense, it almost doesn't matter what the initial investment was. All the framework looks is, well, how do these investment opportunities contribute to the constraints and objectives that you've set out? So it's, um, it's uh, I guess it's, uh, it's, doesn't consider what the actual investment is, just considers what the outcomes it, it delivers. And what we've tried to do in the example is to make sure that we cover the spectrum of, of, of common investment activities undertaken by road authorities. So, so this is step one. So this is what step one, what the hypothetical road agency has done in step one. Um, so first of all, it's identified the high level outcomes it's interested in uh, for this investment. And it said, well, let's try to mitigate our key business risks and let's make sure that we deliver value for money. And we also have, have a road safety target and let's so therefore let's try to reduce fatalities and so once you've identified these high high level outcomes you would then undertake an assessment so for for risk you would undertake a risk assessment for value of money you would undertake a cost benefit analysis and for reduced fatalities you'll estimate the reduction in fatalities or the safety or the not change in safety outcomes uh, with and without investment. And that allows you to develop metrics such as number of catastrophic events you ex expect with and, out, with, with and without an investment, the MPV, and the number of fatalities avoided for each investment. So before we, before we talk about the, the what, how it prioritizes, what this slide is saying is, well, let's imagine a world where the road authority has a limited amount of funding. So that is, it's able to invest in all 30 projects. What would that world look like in terms of outcomes? So on your on the left-hand side, you have the individual assessment. So you, you, you take the 30 projects, you undertake a cost benefit to identify the MPV. Um, you also need to consider the cost of it, given that you have a budget constraint. You then also assess how many lives it's saving um, over the first 10 years. And then you also consider the risk consequence of each, each investment. And so if, if you have enough funding to fund all 30, then you can expect the portfolio outcomes on the right-hand side. So you can expect the expected number of catastrophic events to go from 1.8 to 0.09. You can expect to avoid 130 fatalities. And from a value of money perspective, you can expect net benefits of 429 million. So that's, so that's, a, that's a hypothetical world where if the, the, the road authority had enough money to fund all 30 investments, that's what it could achieve with that. However, there isn't enough funding, so it now has to consider. Well, how do I how do I then allocate this two hundred million dollars of funding? So the road, so to demonstrate the framework, we, the the road authority is considering the following investment criteria. Um, the first one is let's just suppose that the only factor that's relevant to the road authority is value for money. So. The, the first example, we explore, well, what happens? What projects does this road authority invest in if it's only interested in maximizing net present value? Um, example two is, I suspect, that something that would be closer to a real life um, road authority decision-making process is that, yes, maximizing economic return is important, but at the same time, we also have um, road, I want to reduce road fatalities by 60 over the next 10 years, at least by 60, to help our reach, to help out, to help reach the corporate objectives in terms of road safety. And also we're conscious, uh, the road authority is also conscious of risk. So if it has a risk score or above, of, of 15 or above, it wants to invest to help mitigate that risk. So this is the outcomes under example one. So as a, as a reminder, example one is where the road authority sets the objective as maximize MPV of the portfolio. 
um, you, 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 once you've done the individual assessments of the individual investments, you set your objective as maximizing MPV, you, um, you do an optimization, and then the automatically that optimization approach helps identify projects that are funded and projects that are not funded. So in this case, projects that are funded, that are no longer funded are projects one to five. So one, two, three, four, five, those projects are no longer funded. And um, I would say that under this approach, implicitly projects that have a high benefit cost ratio gets first preference and so on. So it's really a, uh, depending on the, in general, it's a ranking on a benefit cost ratio basis. So in terms of portfolio level outcomes, uh, you can, uh, the expect, you can tell that expected number of catastrophic events goes from 1.8 to 0.2. Um, so it's slightly above the situation where you fund all 30 investments. Your performance metric, you avoid 49 lives instead of the, can't remember how many you were avoiding before, but it's a reduction. And the Interestingly, the MPV or the net benefits of this portfolio doesn't decrease, I suspect, because it's placing so much emphasis, given that it's, this is the objective that it's trying to maximize. So um, this is the portfolio level outcome. So having this, um, and this is, this slide here allows you to then say, well, what is the impact of a funding cut? So imagine now instead of having $200 million of funding, and now it only has $100 million of funding. So what it would do is it would re put in the constraint of 100 instead of 200 and rerun the optimization. And out through that optimization, you'll be able to identify the projects that are no longer funded and the projects that now receive funding. So in this example, projects six, eight, and 10 no longer receive funding while project four receives funding. So I think the, the couple of things that that pop out to me is, first of all, your MPV has decreased um, because you've had a funding cut. So uh, and it goes from 429 million net benefits to 209 million. And also the other, the other key outcome that's changed at a high level is the number of lives you're expecting to save going from 49 to 42. So through this, you can, you can see the impact of a, of you can identify clearly that when you have a funding cut, what projects are no longer funded and how does that influence the high level portfolio outcome? And so outcomes under example two, by way of reminder, this is where, this is the more realistic scenario where, where a road authority um, also is trying to, in addition to maximizing the the value for money. It's also trying to reach a road safety target of save the, saving uh, 60 lives and also trying to uh, invest in all projects that have a risk or above 15. So again, what you would do is you would redefine the constraints and objectives in the optimization, rerun it. It will tell you that uh, when compared to the to example one, projects three and four are now funded because probably because of the, 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 the ability to save, avoid fatalities and therefore save lives, while project eight is no longer funded. And so from a risk assessment, interestingly, this, the, the high level portfolio outcome is actually suggesting that there's no change in risk, probably because um, risk is not really a binding constraint for those of you who are familiarized, are familiar with um, optimization, it's not a binding constraint. And in layman terms, that means, um, that probably means that uh, there were no projects that had risk all above 15 during the when you were trying to maximize uh, the MPV anyway. So there's no change in behavior. But the key thing to highlight is the increase in the performance metrics that you're now avoiding. Uh, you're now avoiding more fatalities compared to maximizing MPV. But the trade-off comes, of course, with the reduction in your MPV below. So, you know, the, I think this kind of allows you to then, then say out of this is to say, well, if I add in constraints, how does that change the projects that I'm investing in? And then how does that lead to changes in portfolio outcomes? So here's another example of how, how you could use the framework. You could also then say, well, what if I had a higher safety target? So instead of trying to avoid 60 lives, what if my safety target was to try to avoid, oh, sorry, try to avoid 90 fatalities? Um, yep, so 
you can see that if you rerun the optimization with the new constraints, um, there's no change in risk, but you do, the key changes uh, perhaps the bottom two performance categories in terms of your the number of lives you're expecting to uh, to save or fatalities you're expecting to avoid and the MPV of the overall portfolio. So when you go from 60 to 90, what that means is the optimization framework is trying to make sure that your portfolio outcome, you save at least 90 lives. And that means making a trade-off of funding project one and two and no longer funding project nine and 10. Presumably project one and two uh, save more lives than project nine and 10 and helps you meet the portfolio outcome. So that's what the optimization framework is trying to do implicitly in the background. And so, um, so in our example that we've just talked through, I mentioned free considerations and free metrics. And this slide is just to give a flavor of additional common metrics that you, you would be able to use when you're trying to apply this framework and how you could define define constraints and objectives. So it's, this is also, this table is also available in the report. So um, I, yeah, it just, it's just useful to point out that there are other considerations and you can have metrics and define constraints and objectives and still use the framework. Okay, so some concluding remarks. Um, the first observation I wanted to make is um, the framework in some sense is not doing anything new. So all it's doing is it's taking existing considerations and trying to help decision makers balance these con considerations. So in that sense, it's not really doing anything new. So I suspect it would still be helpful because it helps uh, perhaps make uh, make these trade-offs more explicit and transparent. So that's the first observation. The second observation is, I think it also allows decision makers to understand when you have different performance objectives, what does this mean? So um, in the example, we've said, well, if you have a target road safety target, it helps you identify a portfolio investment. So by doing this framework, therefore, a uh, side product of it, it allows you to then say, well, if I have this safety target, what projects should I be investing in? And if I increase that safety target, what does that mean in terms of additional projects that I need to invest in? And how much money will that cost? And also, is it even achievable? So if we have a, have a um, if our target is to save, let's say, 100 lives over the next um, 10 years, and we we fund everything and we only save 80 lives, it actually means that uh, the it's not a solvable problem. You can't reach your target based on the investments you've identified. So I think it's a useful, it's useful in allowing decision makers to understand, well, what does the higher target or lower target mean in terms of what projects we need to invest in and how much will, that, will it cost? Um, and so the third one is, um, I think it's the ability to report aggregate outcomes. And I think it also helps, therefore, when, when you're making a case for a funding increase or, or, when, or when you're about to face a funding cut, allows you to uh, a quite a transparent framework and quite an objective framework to say, well, these are the outcomes that we, this is our investment criteria. If we have a funding increase or decrease, this means these projects uninvested and these projects lead to this many benefits, et cetera. So therefore at a portfolio level, um, more money um, if you give us more money, this is how we'll spend it. And this is the value of money. This is the life save. This is the asset sustainability outcomes that this additional money will give you. So I think it makes a, uh, it's a good evidence base to, uh, to help you justify uh, the amount of funding you're after. However, um, I do think that, that there are some challenges associated with this framework. Um, and uh, one, one thing is that uh, it requires additional effort and time to implement. Uh, because it is it is a more involved framework, and I, I think it also relies on literature. That is, um, if you want if you want to let's say look at the benefits of maintaining the road pavement, one of the key benefits I, I think is amenity. Um, people enjoy riding on a smoother road, but the, there's gaps in the literature, which means it's hard to for you to quantify that. So, those are my high level observations. Um, so now uh, turning to questions, Q and A. 
Thanks so much, Martin, and thanks so much, Dylan. And we have a number of questions from our audience. I will I will start with uh, slide number 10, where you talked about the working group. And the question is, um, given that local government organizations are responsible for a large portion of, um, of the road network, uh, was the Australian Local Government Association involved in the project? Yeah, um, so they were part of the, um, this is our um, omission of ours, so our apologies, but yes, they, uh, they had a representative on, on the working group, and yes, they, they were part of the, the task force, yes. Thank you. Um, so next slide is slide 11. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about the uh, consultation process? Did you conduct any interviews? And also, um, how transparent um, jurisdictions were when they were um, providing this information to you um, about their budgets, their constraints, and so on? Yep. So uh, the the consultation uh, was quite extensive. I I feel so. We talked. We went to all the states and jurisdictions. We also went to New Zealand. So we had one. On, we had a workshop with um with all the road uh, road agencies. So they were kind enough to share their insight as to what it is. You know what their thinking is. What what the existing frameworks are. And so we didn't. I guess explicitly talk about well why was a particular project funded and whatnot, but it was more mm -hmm. discussing around the high-level principles that were involved or the high-level frameworks that they used to, uh, in effect, feed into their decision making. Mm -hmm. um, thank you. Um, you have um, a few sort of most common approaches identified here um, about how agencies um, allocate their yep. funding uh, currently. Was there any preferred approach? Uh, out of this common, and if there was, uh, why? Uh, I think I think it's a. Um, so my observation is the the approach. Um, so we present three approaches in the report. They're all different, but in in my view, in spirit, the same. Um, so while the framework has a different, or I guess while all road agencies have a different approach and framework, I actually think the, the high level balance of what they're trying to consider in terms of the factors that they're trying to balance are actually all the same. So mm -hmm. while I guess I guess it's another way of saying that uh, it probably it's a framework that probably works for, you know, that works for them. And uh, I actually think that a lot of the frameworks share a lot of the similarities. Um, but yeah, so we weren't really able to uh, identify a winner, let's say. Yeah, all right. Um, thank you. I'll take us to slide 17. Um, so you said that Australia's members find it difficult to secure more funding. Um, what do you think uh, road authorities need to do to change that? I think that's a great question. Um, and the reason why I think it's a great question is, um, I think this is a, the common climate that everyone's facing. That is, um, the money is becoming tighter and tighter with the aging population, um, and it's in a, and uh, the our needs for healthcare, etc., um, are going to increase. And I think that means uh, uh, it's a it's a it's a problem that every sector is facing. That is increasing lack of money. Um, uh, mm -hmm. This framework, um, I don't think, will necessarily get you more money, but I think it's important to at least show that if you have less money or more money, what does that actually mean for society? So at least the uh, treasuries will be able to make an informed decision and um, an informed decision. And this will not necessarily be able to give you more money, but allow people to make informed decisions would be my comment. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's right, Martin. I think the only thing that I would add there is I think it's really just about creating a, a narrative that's elevated above the the asset management yeah. level and one that's more broadly digestible by um, other organizations like treasuries that actually are making funding decisions. 
Thanks, Dylan. Um, one of our participants is saying that the framework looks really good and um, it's excellent to see um, the prioritization of road safety outcomes. Um, and um, the question is here, um, how social aspects of investment um, could be incorporated into the framework? For example, if there is an additional defined objective to maximize job creation from the portfolio, how might that be incorporated? Yep. So I, uh, and this is my own personal view, um, I, I think if you have additional considerations, it's best to consider them as a constraint. So for mm -hmm. example, you might be able to consider um, each project and do an analysis of how many jobs it creates and then say, well, out of this portfolio, we want to create at least, let's say, 2,000 jobs or whatever it may be, whatever your target is, and leave the objective of the portfolio as, as maximizing MPV. And the reason why I think the MPV is the most appropriate objective is it means that you um, you will stop, you you won't try to, the the optimization will try to use the entire budget. And so what I mean by that is, let's take job creation, for example. Presumably, if you're spending money, there's bound to be some sort of job created. And so if your objective is to maximize the number of jobs created, it would spend every single dollar. But if you're using MPV as your, optim uh, as your objective, then eventually we'll stop because eventually you get into projects that are don't help you meet your constraints, but the benefits are lower than cost. So we'll stop at that point. So it, it, it just helps with the value of money um, uh, considerations that road authorities have. Thank you. Um, oh, I just lost the question. Um, so how do you deal with uncertainties in outcomes, uh, project-specific scenarios uh, in the optimization framework? Do you need standardized uh, scenarios? Hmm. I think that's a good question. Um, uh, I think you could consider, so one approach could be to define ranges. So estimate a range of what, you know, you could have a P90 or P10 estimate and estimate a range, and you could perhaps even define um, constraints on that basis. So you might want to say that, uh, so for example, um, in electricity, often you're defining a reliability, uh, your reliability on a, on a P10 yard. So, um, and or indeed bridges, you might have a 100 year standard and you can you can define your constraints on that basis. And it would involve a lot more work because you'll have to model the implications of, well, what, what does that, how do you, you would have to, the modeling would be more involved, um, but it, it's doable. Thank you. Uh, did you want to say anything, Dylan? I think just on, yeah, sorry, thanks to Katerina. Um, just on that one, I think you know another way that that could be just following on from Martin's point is that there is ways that you could basically uh, do do multiple scenarios and then I guess form views of the world of which ones are more likely and come up with a basically a weighted portfolio um, that yeah takes into account all of your scenarios and basically produces a, a portfolio that you think is kind of most likely to occur. Thank you. Um, another question here, um, so. In, in, in this presentation, uh, investment prioritization is focused on capital works. Um, however, uh, investment investing in um, asset maintenance also has to be emphasized to reduce um, fatalities. So do you have any thoughts on, on these? I think so. And I, and I guess my observation, if you like, is I actually think um, maintenance, particularly if you're in a in a jurisdiction that has a lot of uh, that rains a lot, um, and so the, and therefore skid resistance matter. I actually think there's there's large potential for for um, maintenance to be able to deliver cost savings. Oh, sorry, life savings. I said, or fatality avoiding fatalities. So mm -hmm. I think what this framework does is it doesn't it doesn't distinguish between what the investment is or the thing the only thing that this framework does it says well with this investment how many fatalities are you avoiding and it's about really saying if if one believes that maintenance um, plays a key role in avoiding fatalities, it's about quantifying that and then inputting that in the framework. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. and I, I think uh, certainly one of the things that I was quite conscious of is to to uh, to make sure that uh, it's the framework is treating different types of expenditure on a like for like basis. So it's not trying to prefer 
um, prefer a certain type of expenditure, if you like. So. Yeah, thank you. Uh, can this framework be uh, applied to public transport uh, and rail infrastructure? Yeah. I think so. Um, so one of the key observations that Dylan made was um, it's it's that we are increasingly moving towards, uh, or road authorities are increasingly moving towards cross-modal. So the decision they're trying to make is not within the road, but across modes. So you know, should I invest in roads or public or buses or rail or whatever it may be? Um, mm -hmm. So my view is that you can, um, and it would be about, um, so to do that, it would be about carefully consider at a transport portfolio level, what are the relevant metrics um, that you want from that portfolio, um, which I suspect would be largely the same as what, you, what, what you're after from road assets. So things like safety, things like travel time, travel cost, reliability, those mm -hmm. are probably considerations cross mode. So my view is that you could apply this framework across modes. You could probably also apply it across sectors, but that would just mm -hmm. mean that you just need to give a lot of thought about, well, what is the metrics and to not have, let's say a hundred metrics in there, because I think that becomes unmanageable, but to make sure that you have metrics that are that that are that that reflect what you're thinking in terms of vesting. So, in in terms of uh, relevant metrics, are there any metrics that are not um, that might not be relevant to a particular investment opportunity? Uh, uh, I think so. So, for example, um, we the example that we uh, go through in the report, um, we make the argument that if you're, let's say you're duplicating a highway, um, that might have a minor impact on say your safety uh, safety crash cost, but from a risk perspective, it actually doesn't quite, uh, doesn't quite have a, it's not a high risk, you're not avoiding a high risk if you duplicate your, your highway. And indeed, mm -hmm. it doesn't really help with asset sustainability, which is the other measure we look at in the highway. So that kind of means that uh, although the framework kind of requires you to consider multiple dimensions, you can, you can, you can say this investment risk or asset sustainability isn't a relevant consideration and you wouldn't quantify it. And what that just means is, um, it, it it won't that project won't proceed on that constraint basis. So, thank so, you. Yes. Yep. Uh, just uh, uh, another question in relation to this slide. Um, why project number one um, has uh, negative NPV, um, and is the NPV yes. uh, was over ten years? Uh, so. Uh, I wouldn't read too much into the numbers. So the the numbers was just to illustrate that, uh, you know, you do have projects that have NPV below that have negative NPVs and uh, the the framework doesn't, uh, doesn't necessarily care about the number. All it cares about is, well, what are the constraints that I'm trying to do and what is my objective um, that I'm trying to achieve? So, mm -hmm. um, so there's no real, uh, so some of, so we did do, we did kind of apply the framework to a couple of examples, but a lot of these, a lot of the numbers there are probably just dummy data that we just yeah. needed to run our optimization framework. So don't read too much into it, but my suspicion is that uh, there will be some projects that you, you invest in even if it has a negative NPV. So that could be in a remote area, let's say equity is a key consideration. And if you were to look at the NPV of investment, you might not ever invest in that area. But if that's a, uh, that's a valid consideration and you might say, well, we need to at least you know, spend, let's say $10 million in that area. So. Yeah, I think, um, I think project one there is actually a good example of when you move into example two. So you can see that it has um, lives saved of 15. But if you look at the other projects there, it's one of the higher projects in terms of lives saved. So even though it has a negative MPV, it ultimately does get funding in order for you to meet your constraint on your um, fatalities avoided target. So I think it's, yeah, it's really in there as kind of illustrating that dynamic of you might have, yeah. um, projects that would never get funded on an MPV basis, but um, road agencies think more broadly than that. Thanks, yep. Dylan. Um, have you considered the impacts of COVID-19 as part of your research for this project? 
the answer is no, we haven't explicitly considered it. Um, although uh, I actually think it's a very flexible framework. Um, mm -hmm. So for example, if, um, and this is a completely hypothetical example, suppose that uh, through this you identify a new metric that's called resilience or whatever it may be. Um, and that's important because of now COVID-19. Um, if you, as so long as you can identify a metric for it and evaluate metrics that uh, evaluate the investment against that metric, you could incorporate, um, indeed you can incorporate any constraint you want. So that could mm -hmm. be COVID-19 or some other, some other, uh, some other dimension you want um, into this framework. But to answer your question, um, we haven't explicitly considered it, but it's something that you could um, incorporate it if, you, if you're able to define it in a quantitative manner. Okay, thanks, Martin. Uh, well, look, guys, we have no time left, but I'm uh, I'm gonna ask you one last question uh, in sure. relation to slide 32. So one of the observation is that framework would require some additional time and effort to implement um, yep. uh, in comparison with the current processes. So how do you think this challenge could be addressed? Uh, I think it's an interesting one. So we so one of the our recommendations was to create templates, if you like, um, mm -hmm. as a next step. And I think what that template would involve is to is to help uh, people evaluate different uh, different investment opportunities through a multiple lens approach. Um, uh, so that's so. Uh, that's, I guess, one comment is that we've made some recommendations, and uh, my understanding is that Osroad is. Uh, is, has a focus on uh, implementing the research uh, that that it's producing, and I, I think one of the considerations is whether to, to uh, Osroads is considering whether to develop templates to make it easier to to apply the framework. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Martin. Uh, well, I guess that's uh, the end of um, our Q and A. Um, thanks so much, um, guys, for um, for your answers. Thanks to all our audience for your questions. Uh, we have a number of questions that we didn't have time to answer, so we will do that in writing and email you the copy of the response after the webinar. Uh, before we wrap up, just um, uh, a few words on our next webinars. We have um, a number of sessions coming up and whether you are interested in pavement markings for machine vision or uh, how to manage the impacts of uh, aged heavy vehicles, or you're keen to learn um, about the updates to the guidance on interrupted, interrupted traffic flow theory. There is a variety of sessions for you to choose from, so please visit our website um, and register. So thanks again um, to our presenters. Thank thanks God. again to all of you uh, for being with us today. Hopefully the session was informative uh, and will be useful for your work. Um, after we close out today's session, there will be a questionnaire. Uh, it'll pop up on your screen. So please take a couple of minutes to fill it in. Um, let us know what you liked or didn't like. We do read it all and we use your feedback to um, shape our webinars and uh, shape our future program. Um, thanks again, everyone. Um, stay well and safe and enjoy the rest of your day. And we hope to see you next time. See ya. Thanks, everyone.